0: This is episode number 388 with Danny Garcia of The Founder Podcast.
1: What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty
0: human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human
1: potential. Now. Now, 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help.
0: and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Today's guest is a groundbreaking visionary and the definition of a mogul. She's a chairwoman entertainment magnate, founder, investor, producer, and also a professional athlete. She's managed the careers of Dwayne Johnson and Henry Cavill, and has had huge success in almost every single industry you can think of. I've really enjoyed this conversation, guys. I learned so much. I think you will too. So listen in and learn really what it takes to build an incredibly successful empire. So, Danny, really excited to speak with you today. Uh, the first question we ask everyone that comes on is how did you get your job, aka? How did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today?
1: That's a good question to start with everyone, Nathan. <laughs> you know, I'd like to say I created my job, really, the position that I'm in today. I mean, it was a it was a journey that started in finance a little more traditionally with Merrill Lynch. And then moved um, into a wealth management position and then moved into independent production. And then in 2008, moved into sort of architecting Dwayne Johnson's career and having an official move into Hollywood. And then all along that period. My approach had always been building enterprise. My decision actually to go into finance was because, you know what, the time I spend there is going to give me a fantastic understanding of what I need for companies to be built fundamentally. And even when I was uh, working with, you know, when DJ asked me to take over, Dwayne asked me to take over, my approach was looking at his career and he, and he in particular as a brand and IP property and building a corporation around him. So all along, I have been building companies until this position where I'm in, where now I have this beautiful portfolio. I'm the chairwoman. I'm the chairwoman of a few of my other positions within the portfolio. And that sort of created the picture today. But I was building it year after year after year. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So
0: you've been doing this for about 15 years.
1: This. Well, I guess a little bit, a little bit longer. I've been I've been. Working since I was 12, but officially, professionally, for about 25 years. And the Hollywood move was in 2008. So, yeah, you're you're pretty close.
0: And do you think entrepreneurs are are built, made, hardwired, or do you think that that's like (laughs) a skill that can be acquired over time?
1: I do think it's a skill that can be acquired, but I think the majority of entrepreneurs are hardwired. I think they, you know, we tend to look at the world in a different way. The rules that sort of apply uh, feel uncomfortable. And uh, I think the idea of creating something new and and being the leader of that creation, that usually comes from inside. Luckily, there are mechanisms that can be built so you can take that position. But I find most of my entrepreneur friends and peers were were born.
0: (laughs) So before we drive into just like GSTQ, like, you have many different companies, right? And you've got a whole portfolio. You've, you've achieved incredible success. I'd just love to know kind of like, how do you find balance? Like, what does a typical day for Danny Gussie look like?
1: You know, the, the days, they do have a few anchor structures, which is really wonderful. So, um, training is actually a very big anchor for my day so all my days start getting up early spending time with my friend she's, and my husband and a cup of coffee and, and having a quiet moment i do a lot of centering because since i do have such a broad portfolio being very centered in what my philosophy is and understanding how i want to interact with the world and how i want my companies to interact in the world is very important um, And then I spend my mornings, I actually get my training block out in the morning. If I'm on the East Coast, I get to cheat for all my West Coast, I get three extra hours. Um, And then after that, it's really spending time on what are the most important decisions across the portfolio. You know, depending upon the city, I'm sort of a different activity. The training is always the same and that morning is always the same and the evening is the same. You know, the evening after the long hours has a wind down period, has time with my family, quiet moments before, you know, going off. But if I'm in New York, then I'm usually very active with individuals, but all with purpose. Um, and my company is up there. And if I'm on the West Coast, it's a little bit more production oriented. Um, I do spend a lot of time not actually having appointments or having scheduled calls. About half of my week is unscheduled intentionally so that I can stay at a very high perspective. And I can look at what these companies are doing and understand where they need to be. So I try never to get too much into the soup of anything because then I lose my perspective and all of my companies, while they are very varied, they have one thing in common. They're all, they're all consumer facing. they all have relationships with the audience or a consumer. So that means that part of my responsibility is actually staying in tune to the consumer and the audience. And if I'm too deep into these companies, I lose that perspective. Hmm,
0: I see. So have you ever experienced like burnout or anything? Cause, cause you have so much going on.
1: I, you know, it, it's a very, it's a great question. 2016, I specifically remember 2016 was, you know, it was an incredible growth year. And uh, we ended the year, my husband took, uh, and I went to Hawaii in January. And I think I slept on a sofa outside every day for about two weeks straight. You know, I would wake up, he would get up. He would go work out. I fall asleep on that sofa. And that's where I had recognized that everything had accelerated so quickly. My process had not adjusted for it. Um, So I became really good at that point after 2016 of continuously firing myself from positions so that I could move higher in my perspective. Um, So but always the um, it's not it's not a moment, you know, managing or keeping balance of this is not a set Sort of process. It changes as the portfolio changes and grows every year. So again, I, I have to put that investment into looking at how I'm working to make sure I can continue to work.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So you said something uh, that I have to delve a bit deeper on. You said around firing yourself, like when, yeah. you know, as you. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Absolutely. Um. So the I so c- if I'm going to do more, I can't do the same thing. Right? Because whatever I'm doing, does, the more doesn't live in those activities. So if I want to move up, I began to realize I need to kick myself out. So I literally would fire myself. I remember when we hired our chief marketing officer, Maya Lassery, who's amazing for seven bucks marketing. That was a fired position. I had taken a lot of the responsibilities of marketing as I was working with our production companies and DJ. And finally, I was like, okay, there is someone who's going to live in this world. 24-7, and she's going to do it so much better than I can because I need to do all these other things And because she's greatly skilled. I uh, The last firing of myself was probably from the official role as Dwayne Johnson's manager. <laughs> I fired myself. He was very gracious as I fired myself because I needed to move into a strategic advisory position over his enterprise in particular, which is ginormous. Um, so yeah, i become really comfortable once I start to, uh, have so much friction in the positions or I'm feeling a lot of frustration or even, you know, I'm spending a lot of time on minutiae and details that I've begun to realize is the signal that it's time to fire myself and see if I can move up and advance my skills. So I've got, you know, I'm a brutal boss to myself.
0: (laughs) Oh, awesome. Thank you for sharing. So i um, love to start diving into some of these companies. Uh, first, we'll start with GSTQ. Um, can you tell us kind of a little bit about it, how it came all about and how that idea was conceived?
1: Sure. GSTQ, um, I'm so glad you asked about that one first. It is my oldest brand IP property. It was conceived when I was a young teenager and I was, you know, we talked about entrepreneurs, be, entrepreneurs being born. Well, I think many of them were probably like me, very angsty in their young age and sort of looking at the world differently and not understanding why things happen the way they happen. And as a teenager, I had pretty strong aspirations for what I wanted to accomplish, but I had nothing that reflected that back to me. So one day in orchestra, I was a French horn player. We played the Royal National Anthem. God save the Queen. I did not know that that was God save the Queen was the title of the of the British national anthem. I was so touched. I was so blown away by the idea that an entire nation is praying to God for the Queen that I was like this is an amazing title. And so I would say to myself, I would just start writing GSTQ, GSTQ and in created and that and I would consider myself the Queen and I would say there's something bigger and you know what? God saved the queen and that's me and I'm going to get there. And it became a mindset mantra, uh, which actually carried with me all the way through to the initiation to the birth of GSTQ. So GSTQ was my idea of a fashion relationship that was built upon mindset and philosophy, that was built upon the idea that you will be polished to perform that was built upon the idea that fashion could not only beautify you but could be a support mechanism to get you to where you wanted to be another aspect of gstq was for myself personally as a bodybuilder and a woman who had to do so many different things i had a passionate relationship with fashion things didn't fit they were constricting they were tight i'm trying to move from one thing into a production meeting to you know meeting with my fellow ceos and I didn't have clothes that could move with me and also celebrate my athleticism. So that went into a lot of the fundamentals that are behind GSTQ and how we service our clients.
0: Yeah. I love it. And can you tell us about kind of the early stages of bringing that to life? What did it
1: look like? Cause it sounds like this is a whole new space for you, right? It is a new space. You know, it actually, um, we started it as I'm thinking now in 21, uh, Probably three years ago was the process where we began with the ideation. Very similar to building out a franchise or a Marvel universe, we spent a lot of time on what I call the GSTQ Bible the birth of what this brand is, the relationship, the fundamental principles, how does it make people feel? So we had a a very long philosophical period of time. And then we moved into the ideation of clothing and creativity. And then we ran smack into COVID. (laughs) So COVID allowed us to continue. We had to pause, but we continued to refine. And then we were able to release the product just recently. Um, but it was, it was something that was overriding and sort of just quietly moving along as I was working on these other companies until we could finally bring it to fruition.
0: Yeah, I see. Um, I have to ask around kind of you spent a bit of time on the philosophy, the brand DNA, and really getting clear on the why and the differentiation, it sounds like. Uh, I think sometimes when founders want to start something, they just want to launch or they have an idea and they want to go, 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 go. Why did you spend so much time there on that piece? Well, the,
1: um, you know, when founders are going, going, which they're going because they internally know the idea, right? But they, many cases haven't articulated it clearly. And GSTQ was going to be, a, first of all it 's a lifelong project for me, but it was also going to be something that needed a tremendous amount of expertise and support from other individuals. So that time that time articulating and really uh, pulling the philosophy and creating examples of what the philosophy looked like was vital so that all the team members could be very, very clear. The mindset approach to fashion is extremely rare it's very, very unique. And to blend that in with the art and have them be rooted together, or even have that philosophy be the platform that the art has to live on, you know, that's, it, that feels different. And I wanted to make sure that all my team members were extremely comfortable and understood what that commitment meant. So that is really, I think that is extreme. That is absolutely the payoff when you do spend so much time before you actually start running.
0: Yeah, I see. And- Talk us through the challenges so far. Uh,
1: I think the challenges have been challenges that individuals know. Uh, factories shutting down, deliveries, getting, you know, the design force and not being able to meet in person, not being able to meet our incredible manufacturing partners overseas in person um, and slowing down a bit. But that luckily the pacing, I actually am pleased to have a startup occur during a very constricted time forces us to be conservative and cautious and really measure measure so it's almost like we have a a quiet period to launch before everything is up and running and we've utilized that so we we tried to take advantage of all the moments
0: yeah and around the business model direct to consumer um Mm -hmm. what's what's the vision uh is that the vision to stay a direct to consumer brand uh what was ten years look like? Talk talk us through it.
1: Totally. So the um, you know the direct to consumer, I think that's a, for us, it's very important. I like the mediums. My my mediums are comfortable, are very much rooted in storytelling, and this company in particular has a very strong film theatrical element to how we're communicating what this brand is, and that experience happens best on a media platform. So it's actually very aligned to direct to consumer. I see us naturally evolving to an experience where it's brick and mortar, but it won't occur until I can easily translate the theatrical moments of experiencing this brand and put it into a brick and mortar position. I want to bridge that. I don't want the experience to go in to our stores to be just like going into any store or an even marker. So it needs to be something that flows through. So that's going to take a little bit of time. Um, but I'm not in a rush. I mean, we, we know how to communicate. We know how to, we do create experiences that are very grassroots, whether it's trunk shows or, you know, intimate sort of, um, invitation only so people can experience and we can, we can get that groundswell. Um, but it's not something that I'm immediately rushing to. I do see the expansion of our line. I'd love to tackle men next, which actually has come back to me often from my peers is, you know, when do we bring our philosophy into men's clothing? And I think very importantly, you have to strongly win in women's and men's before you would then extend into, for example, children's. I see a GSTQ as being a brand that will meet the needs of the consumers where they want to go. We want to build the credibility, have that design element, have sustainability in our process. But um, I'm very excited about continued expansion.
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, I think, uh, yeah, look, for direct-to-consumer, it's always been interesting. Um, obviously, you know, Apple was the original, right, where you, you have the brick and mortar and and really have that experience. But now you see a lot of even Warby Parker, you know, just listed on the NASDAQ, right? Like they've got stores, you know, uh Gossier, like it's it's incredible to see kind of how these d2c brands take that experience and try and build
1: something special in person so it has to be a destination where it's really a different uh it's a different responsibility than previously you've got that d2c experience so what is the payoff of actually being there how do you make that moment feel like a destination um, it's a fantastic it's a very exciting challenge I'm looking forward to it
0: Awesome. Well, look, um, we have a few more companies to go through. I'd love to talk about the XFL. Like, uh, Tell us like, about that acquisition, uh, the, the strategy behind it, um, you know, what, what, what did that look like like last year? Talk us through.
1: You know, the XFL, um, first of all, I'm, I've been an athlete all my life and the XFL acquisition is one of my most exciting acquisitions to date. Um, so the XFL, the second version of the XFL that happened in 2020, um, I was saddened because I wasn't a part of it. <laughs> I have a great relationship with Vince Van. And when he actually launched it, I was like, darn, I really had wanted to be. And I was very, very pleased with the product they attempted to put on this field because they had a five-week run. And then unfortunately, COVID really came and shut them down. And as a live event startup, they didn't have the financial metrics to support it. But the, those five weeks and the ethos and what they were able to capture and the innovation, the technology they were able to put on the field was very, very exciting to me. So when I found out that the company had been going through bankruptcy, you know, I pulled together the team. We started to do some analysis. I called Dwayne Johnson up, <laughs> my partner, and I said, I have a crazy idea. And he says, he he actually tells the story as well. And he's like, I love crazy. Tell me. You know, I've called him numerous times with that. I have a crazy idea. And it's taken us on great journeys. And then I shared with him the XFL and the the full scope of what we could do with that incredible property in our hands. Not only for Dwayne personally, uh, not only is the XFL something he could see himself in because he did He did attempt to go to the NFL, wasn't successful, went up to the CFL, wasn't successful. If the XFL had been there, he would have gone. That would have been his next step. Um, We always say this career was his plan B, but he did really well with plan B. (laughs) But for us, we were looking at an opportunity to be the stewards of football in a 360 sort of viewpoint, multidimensionally, looking at everything that surrounds the football and taking responsibility for that. So how are the athletes experiencing it? How are the fans? How are our partners? How are our sponsors? How are our production partners? And we have a very specific point of view on how the storytelling and the interaction and how the XFL should be experienced and not watched. So we have, in fact, just came back last this Monday from a full intensive in New York City as far as our XFL and our XFL rollout. Um, so we're very, very excited. I would say historically, if you look at everything I've done, everything I've done in my last 28 some years has led to this moment when it comes to the XFL. It demands all of my expertise in all of the different areas to be able to do what I want to do with this property. So I'm very excited.
0: Mm, yeah, look, I find it really fascinating. Uh, this particular acquisition um, and just, yeah, just like a, it, it's, it's, it's quite a complex play. Um, so like, yeah, I'd love to. Can
1: we delve a little bit more on that? Sure, absolutely. You know, you have the, um, first of all, you have the complexity of the game of football in the United States, which you need to deliver at a level that's undeniable. So right there, those expectations and executions are its own sort of company in itself. And then what we're doing is we're wrapping around it the we're, we're taking control of the entire universe that lives within football. And we're wrapping around it various elements of entertainment and media and expression and live events so that not only do you have the game and dynamic play but you have football being a catalyst to other experiences. And in that, you start to garner great complexity. And that's all about execution. So I think one of the great things that I recognize, especially in partnership with Dwayne and in partnership with Redbird Capital, who are other partners in ownership of the XFL, is that we clearly bring a skill set that doesn't exist in major league sports. And that Is where I see incredible opportunity. And that's where we have been building out the business plan to really take advantage of that expertise. Um, So you've got to have an ace team right for the game, for the players, for how they're experiencing life. And then you have to overlay that with an additional set of skills to take care of every other aspect that touches the fans and touches your partners and touches how the game is being experienced. How is it being experienced with gaming? How is it being experienced on your phone? Um, So, you know, the challenge is great, but it's been an incredible experience. I love the relationships. I love the people we have on board, the quality. Um, And I'm really looking forward to 2023.
0: Yeah. Wow. Um... Look, I have to ask one more question selfishly, sure. just out of curiosity, um, yep. before we, we move over to, to seven bucks, um, to take on like a, you know, an acquisition uh, like that and, and, a, and an industry like that, what what kind of obsession is required to really understand it? Because it's like a totally different world. You need to immerse yourself, right? To, to, to even, right. yeah, like, uh, so I just love, i would just be curious, kind of, do you have a process there? Is there anything you could talk us through as you, as you move between these different verticals and industries? And
1: yeah. I love your question, by the way. That's an excellent question. So the, uh, I love that you asked, do you have to have an obsession? You, for, for the, for the scope and size and the enormity of what the XFL is, it's a very loud project right? It's very public facing and we're not even launched, but there's football in itself. You absolutely have to have an obsession. You have to have the fundamental tenets of entrepreneurism, of drive, 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 create something new. There's not a model, but I'm going to go ahead and create a model. So though you have to have comfort in that skill set so that you can then look at the property fearlessly, And be comfortable saying, "Okay, these are the directions and these are the elements we're going to add to football, which will not affect the institutionalization of the game, because that's the other thing. This is not a property that you can just change dramatically how the game is played. You have to honor that. But you still need to bring the elements of today, right? And today and tomorrow. So the amount of brain burn, I like to say, is great. And it doesn't have to be all my brain, but where I, that, that 40% that only I can deliver or Dwayne can deliver, we have to be a hundred percent focused on that. So the rest of the, you know, the rest of the tenants of the game and a fantastic game and football operations and player personnel situations, you you've got to have the best of the best in those positions so that there's nothing there but excellence. And then that allows you to focus in the areas and you have to be able to bridge it over. I have fantastic partners and I have an incredible group of individuals who believe in how I see the game and how Dwayne sees the game and is open to a point of view of female leadership. So I'm the chairwoman of the XFL. So my philosophies and my leadership fall over the entire sport of football, male, dominated sport <laughs> so you know that 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 position is a major position but it also allows me to bring incredible value to the game so yes when you said you have to be obsessed you absolutely have to be obsessed and that's okay
0: mm. yeah look I uh I think you know to to, to build anything of, of true worth and significance
1: it has to be an obsession absolutely it can be a balanced obsession. But it still has to be obsession. <laughs> I used to say early in the sort of Dwayne Johnson build out, as I would bring team members in, I would have to say, you have to be able to run through a wall for this vision. You've got you've got to be that person who can love even more passionately than maybe the. Other, the individual you're focusing like that, you the amount of will and the amount of inertia that you need to create to make fantastic things happen. There's a reason why you know I've been fortunate enough to have great success, and there's a reason that other people's don't don't have that. They literally this space that you just talked about. Very few people want to enter into that space, and then if they enter, they don't recognize they don't want to stay there. Um, but that's the difference maker.
0: Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast, From Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in the trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. Look, uh, I have to move to Seven Bugs. Can you talk us, like, first off, like, how does it feel to kind of produce some of the most successful films in the world?
1: (laughs) Uh, It is so satisfying. (laughs) It's been a long, you know, it's been a long journey. I think we're 42 films in, Um, I mean, we have quite a slate. But it is, you know, we are, we are a unique production company. We have always gone into entertainment with two tenants. The tenant that I brought into sort of our seven bucks world is that all creative has to live in a return on investment box. Like we never move away from that. It makes us great partners for the studio. Very few producers come in with that point of view, saying we're going to speak to the bottom line before we even begin shooting. Um, But the second and most important tenet is that we are audience first. So anything creative, we never just do it for ourselves. We make the decision as if the audience member is sitting right there next to us. That has allowed us to make decisions that have led to global success that have led to this sort of four quadrant appeal that we love. We love reach and extension. Um, And I'm so proud of what the company has done. I'm proud of our team members and I love our projects.
0: Yeah, no, it's so cool. Um, You've done so many interesting things. So can you talk us through kind of, I guess, the challenges that like an industry like that presents that others don't?
1: The greatest challenge. I was actually, I was speaking with an independent producer who, or a journalist who covers a lot of independent, and they said, isn't it much more difficult to do an independent film than to do a a major blockbuster film? And I shared with them that it's actually so much more complex. When I do a $230 million budget film, I sign my name on that budget, as does Dwayne, as does my president of production, Hiram Garcia. We literally sign our names, authenticating that budget and the enormity of those dollars. You know, when you're you're doing a little bunt to first base or a single to first base as compared to, you need a grand slam, a walk-off grand slam. (laughs) You know, those are two different things. So I think the major challenge has been getting, because the numbers are so great, because the risks are so high, you know, getting studios comfortable with your point of view as to filmmaking. And Dwayne and myself, we didn't enter Hollywood with any type of film connections or theatrical background or, you know, I came from finance, his entrance into entertainment was the WWE and we were not the norm. So we had to earn every step, every comment, every note that went into a script. We had to earn by having incredible success, but also by giving a perspective and a point of view that no one had ever heard before. So, you know, this audience first mentality, sort of articulating it and letting it be a why when we were talking about the marketing. So even though we weren't producers, we were in marketing meetings, you know, we hadn't earned that spot yet. We always continuously over-delivered so people could understand that our philosophical filmmaking approach had true merit. So, yeah, that was a slog. When you're coming in as such an outsider and such a different individual to finally get the industry to embrace that, yes, you have taste, you know how to speak to the audience, and you have reach, and you know how to come in at budget, close to. <laughs> it was, it, it, it took some time. It definitely took time. Mm,
0: so so why did you decide to kind of start producing films?
1: The decision was control creative control. First of all, there was also a decision of I want to as far as enterprise build out, let's what how are we going to professionalize around our creative skills and our audience first approach. So, a production company is the absolute best way to do that. Simultaneously, it allowed us to set up so that we could have more control over the films and we could inject our philosophical point of view into how these films were being made. Uh, so it was a natural progression. You know, there it's and then if you think about me as an entrepreneur, you can see that at some point I'm not going to be comfortable in this position until we can get control. <laughs> uh, so it was it was just another natural progression of building out of the portfolio.
0: Yeah, okay, I see. So um I have to ask as well, you know, you've produced some really successful films. Do you have any kind of crazy stories behind the scenes, anything you can share
1: with us? You know, it's I do have a crazy, I will, I do have something that, and it's it's one of our first films. It was actually the first time Dwayne was, so we weren't producing this. This is the first film Dwayne had ever done. So um, we were still married at the time and he was wrestling with the WWE. And so he went out to film the Scorpion King, not the Scorpion King. It was the, it was one of the mummies, but it had the character of the Scorpion King and he had to go out there. Um, And he had a 103 degree fever the entire time and was running in the deserts in California, shooting these scenes because it was his it was his first opportunity and he was not going to miss it. And I specifically remember, I wasn't on set with him. I specifically remember the back and forth about hydrating. Okay. You shot the scene. Okay. Are you in the tent? And he would just not stop. He, he, there was no way he was going to miss this opportunity to be in this film. And, uh, and that always, and that was such a mark about someone. For me, it was. It's more of a personal story because it was such a great example of no matter what, just taking advantage of an opportunity with your own two hands and making it happen, even if you have a hundred and three degree temperature in the desert.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's wild. Um, so look, we have to keep moving, but I want to talk about talent management. So um, you know, you've you've managed you've managed Dwayne, you've managed. Henry Cavill, um, you know, what are the sorts of things that you have to consider when wearing that hat, like, you know, that you don't know, your other ventures?
1: Well, you know, the, um, the, you'll, you'll appreciate this very much. So the, the talent management, management in particular, and even my title of manager, uh, if we were not in Hollywood, we would have a different title. But for the entertainment industry, for them to understand why I was in the room and why I was giving all the strategic advice and why I was positioned films and why I wanted these licenses to come in and here's the overarching theme, we needed a word so that everyone could understand why I was there (laughs) because I was doing unique things. So the, the idea of management and letting the industry look at me as a manager came from that. But really in my approach, because there's many different types of managers and managers who are focused on how the bills are paid and what's happening at the house. My goal as a manager was to make sure the talent I worked with could not only have successful, far-reaching careers, but could then have capital structures built around them to experience capital events that were fueled by all of the work they had done in film or television or production. So really translating a non-tangible, an intangible asset into a tangible asset. Um, So with that, there's an incredible amount of fiduciary responsibility, right? So you're not only talking about the business plan build-out, you're talking about a core that's an individual and understanding what that individual needs to not only sustain and be a huge success, but to be a balanced success with family and live a life that can also have the enormities of being a leading man and still have downtime, but also carry the weight of what happens when you now own corporations. So, you know, there's a lot less of ego and, you know, how agents and managers are looked at in Hollywood, sort of those Hollywood-esque stories and really much more of stewardship and a thoughtfulness to the approach. I mean, and when we talk about obsession, you have to become obsessed with your client's success and their vision. And in many cases, you have to hold what they want to achieve greater than what they want, greater than what they can. Because when they're in the soup and they're filming and it's every day and it's 12 hour days and you're holding that final vision, you you almost have two different perspectives and sort of bridging that perspective. Uh, becomes very challenging. So in my approach, I would say it's very heady and it's very thoughtful um, and strategic, but you never can lose sight of the individual at the center of this experience, which is the talent.
0: Yeah. And one thing um, that I'm curious as well around is this talent management piece, uh, you know, with, with the rise of kind of personal brands, Instagram, social media, Um, like the, it's, you know, work, working, working, like the influence, the influencer space, the creator economy, um, things have really rapidly evolved. I'd I'd love to know how you've kind of stayed on the cutting edge around that because, um, talent, yeah, managing talent has, has really changed over these past, I'd say even five years. Can you talk us through kind of your take on the landscape?
1: Sure, I'll give you a broader take. Um, I don't work with direct influencers who are not uh, sort of out of a feature film sex. So I don't want to step out of my lane um, too much. But I think the tenants are all the same. The tenants of, you know, you can reverse engineer success, right? Which I think many people have done. I think uh, the work that we've done with Dwayne. And I think he's currently globally at 460 million um, followers with all of his platforms. I mean, it, you 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 can you individuals reverse engineer that to say, okay, these are the steps. But the one thing that never changed was we were extremely strategic about who he was and how he was growing and how he was connecting. But there was so much ingenuity and creativity in the process. You know, it was not quite as mechanical. So at the end of the day, the quality of what is being created, if you are an influencer, but you're what's considered a thin influencer, you have a moment and that moment is maybe just one character and it's on, you know, that platform and you're just that only character, that's all that you're delivering. You begin to minimize yourself because the audience has a consumption rate that is ginormous now. So, you know, Looking to the individuals I work with now, they have deliverables on multiple platforms and they always have a very large, overarching story, something that's bigger than what they are that they pull from to grip the intimacy within social media. Influencers kind of have one conversation right now. You know, they're they're they have the social media is their television show and they're a TV star, and it's one thing and it's sort of developing that skill to say how am i broadening this one lane into 10 lanes so that people can experience different parts of me and the equality of what they're experiencing is as good as that one character that's on twit that's on you know any one of the platforms <laughs> you know so i think i think keeping that expansive point of view today especially with content creators and knowing that you want as quickly as possible move from one thing into two things to give them depth and breadth leads to longevity. I think that's for all management, though that point of view has to stay all the time. Mm.
0: Yeah, no, look, thank you for sharing. It's, it's a fascinating, really growing space, right? Like the rise of a personal brand, personal branding, uh, more than ever, people are buying from people, not companies
1: um, and yeah. brands.
0: So it's uh, great to get your take.
1: So do. And I'll say one last thing, Nathan, which I think is really wonderful, is when you say people are buying for people, the truth of that, um, it also speaks to you can no longer be just a, a facade. Like the accountability of who you are, people will find you. They will find the other angles. So I do like that there's greater transparency and it's, you know, I think influencers would like to think that there's not greater transparency and no one's finding out, but the truth is someone is going to find out. So there is um, a bit of a demand for some authenticity and self-growth. If you're going to have a very large relationship with a large audience, You have to be responsible to that relationship and be responsible to who you are so that relationship is authentic and it's real. And I think that's really interesting. I think that's a huge difference than 10 to 15 years ago where you could keep the shadow, you know, you can keep the space.
0: Mm. Well, look, um, I I could keep going, conscious of time. A few more things we have to go through that I'd love to kind of delve into. The Garcia companies in the future um, kind of like... What, what, what is like, what is, what is, I guess you, you've you done this with, with a, with a extreme successful track record, like all the different companies that you're into your portfolio. Um, I'd love to know kind of what are the things that you look for in like your next opportunity or the next investment or the, or the next thing that
1: you're going to work on and add into the portfolio? Absolutely. So the, um, I will say one of the things even, and I, I've sure shared, I think we should talk about this. Even though the portfolio is very diverse, if you actually go up, I would say fifty thousand feet, you will see that there's strong similarities. There's a strong philosophical arc. There's there's a, a tone that are very similar within all the companies. Um, so that's going to be very important. Any addition is going to complement what's already in the portfolio and cross complement. So I, I look for my companies to elevate. The other companies that are within the portfolio that's really important to me it builds community and it builds a sense and it gives me one plus one equaling three or maybe five or ten <laughs> which would be great um i'm going to continue my i'm going to i'm going to continue my consumer facing investment i would like now uh and the xfl has given me this incredible opportunity and i think there are other opportunities in sports i, I also just and have ownership in a minor league baseball team in Staten Island uh, with the Yankees and a few other uh, partners. I, I'm very intrigued by sports and women's sports now. And I'm intrigued by not only you know properties that have obviously a consumer deliverable, audience facing, but that allow me to work with a group of individuals like sports does to elevate their experience. elevate their lives so I'm looking for greater impact um, within my investments to not only just here's what you're consuming or this is what you saw but how is the impact actually influencing more of a larger audience. Sports is an incredible mechanism to do that when you do the right storytelling. And just as importantly, when you take care of the athletes in the right way. So, you know, any property that comes in is is going to give me um, multiple influential points. That's what I'm really looking for. I mean, of course, without saying the business model, return on investment, <laughs> you know, the normal, the normal assumptions of what we need. But when you're when you're looking at it philosophically, I'm really looking for investments that, with their success, their success beyond just a transaction. There's actually uh, domestic or global success and influence in a positive way.
0: Yeah. Wow. Um, I have to ask one question, just genuine curiosity off script around kind of. Can you talk us through? You said something very interesting to me around kind of it has to you know one plus one equal three with a with a company you'd look to bring into the portfolio. Can you give us an example around how they all kind of intertwine or or complement each other, or or maybe just one? Yeah, I'd I'd love to hear like the strategic thinking behind. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, there's the there's the there's a very linear approach. For example, if you were to look at um, let's take a look at Zoa Energy, right? Our energy drink. It is the number one fastest, the number one new energy drink, fastest growing energy drink, which is exciting. But if you speak, you know, the basis of that company is positivity. That company is based upon positivity. That brand is positivity. And it's an energy drink and it's better for you. And it's about achievement and goals. And how are you connecting? What are you doing? And we went into a white space where the deliverable is not premium. They're not delivering the best quality ingredients. And we consume energy drinks. Now, if you look at that property and then you look at Project Rock or you look at the XFL or you look at, uh, for example, the life uh, Athleticon experience that's still in development, you begin to see that there there is a flow. or not just from, oh, you know, ZOA can sponsor XFL, et cetera, but there's a conversation about how life is being lived. And then if you look at these different properties and then you look at seven bucks productions, right. And audience first reach, you actually begin to see themes where they all actually do make sense. If we do, for example, a black, our black Adam movie, which is coming out um, next year. And I think got to see if we announced our date, but our black Adam movie, you have a conversation, you have a project rock conversation there. You have a ZOE energy conversation. It's Black Adam. So you have a Terramana tequila conversation in there. They all, you can, it's not so direct, but you can actually speak to them. They make sense. They're, there's a universe where they all live together. That is very, very important. And then you have the success of one property elevate the conversation and the awareness of other properties. So there's the, the direct line, right? Again, as we said, the ZOA XFL sponsorship, super easy. And then there's two or three or four steps away where you have a halo effect of the success of one property influencing another property. And that becomes very, very important. And now how we highlight it and how we actually tie that into the consumer is secret. But (laughs) that is actually very important. Is to then blend the conversations because individuals will be aware of it. But you do have to do you do have to use certain mechanisms to say, "Hey, these do make sense, and they make sense in a way that's better for you, and actually enhances whatever you're experiencing." And those are, you know, that's that's a whole other class.
0: Yeah. Well, awesome. Thank you. Thank you for just sharing because that was like, yeah, it it really kind of talks through the thinking and and the strategy. I think people find that really valuable um so look one last question then we'll move to the hot seat round kind of just what's exciting for the future
1: let's see oh so much exciting besides xfl and the baseball league and let's see i'm looking at our slate uh oh my this is kind of exciting it's small but my character is going to show up on young rock which is on nbc so danny garcia at uh, 22 years old is going to be making her debut (laughs) On rock, And I think it won't be me, but we have a great actress. Uh, so I think that's very exciting. But really it's the, you know, it's the opportunity for Athleticon to come back, you know, we, to have a really open market where it's safe to have in a major way. You know, Athleticon is a health, wellness, entertainment, potential property. So we're very mindful about when we bring such an event to a live event to the market. Um, so that's exciting for us. Uh, I think there are other expressions coming in zoa and maybe in spirits um and gstq will continue to grow and then there's some there's some film properties but i can't mention them just yet
0: oh good amazing thank you for sharing so uh look conscious of your time we're going to do something called the hot seat round kind of uh short uh fast 30 second answers um so three questions uh the first one is if you could have dinner with one entrepreneur dead or alive who would it be and why
1: Oh, you know what? It would be, I would love to have dinner with Benjamin Franklin. I'm, to, I'm considering him an entrepreneur. We have to consider him an entrepreneur. I mean, that mind, that process, that philosophy, uh, okay, it's gonna take me back in time a long, long time, but I would be so intrigued to understand the methodology and the mind by that individual who was so simplistic, but yet so brilliant with everything he executed.
0: If you could greenlight a sequel to any film, doesn't need to be your own, uh, what would it be and
1: why? Oh, that's easy. I would absolutely do the long kiss goodnight that had Gina Davis, Samuel Jackson. It was written by Shane Black, and it was this incredible rated R action spy thriller. Gina was the lead; she was amazing, and I would I would love to take a stab at a sequel of that. In today's, I mean, it was so ahead of its time where she was shooting people up, dropping F-bombs. It was so entertaining. I would love to do that again. In fact, this is very motivating for me.
0: (laughs) Oh, awesome. Uh, Okay, last question. If you could go back in time and uh, give yourself one piece of advice at age 10, uh, what would it be?
1: I would say to myself at age 10, you are going to be different for the rest of your life. And that's going to be your superpower.
0: Awesome. Well, look, uh, Danny, this was an incredible interview. Thank you so much for your time. Um, We've gone a little over, but yeah, thank you so much. This was like really, really interesting and fascinating. I learned a ton too and, and super inspired. Uh, So, yeah, congratulations on all your success, and I'm sure you can do Um, more big things.
1: It was a pleasure speaking to you. I'm glad you told me Friday is going well. I look forward to my Friday tomorrow.
0: (laughs) Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business.